Is everybody Gucci this morning? Okay, so I'm here this morning to deliver a message of the utmost importance. And I think this message is not heard often at this church. Therefore, I'm here to preach it. It is the, uh, the, God, the message of the gospel. If you don't know what the message is, it is about this Jesus guy who was born to suffer and die for us. And he has already accomplished his mission. Therefore, there is now no more suffering for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only blessings upon blessings. If you claim to be a real Christian, you suffer still. Do you know why? Because you are stingy and you are selfish. You are not giving enough. The more you give, the more you will be blessed. If you, if you don't blame me, I have the scripture to back me up on this. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full and pressed down, shaken together to make room for M-O-R-E. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. See, I'm not making things up. If you, if you give enough, God in return will give you a lot more good stuff. What good stuff? I'm glad you asked. Health, riches, success. You just succeed no matter what you do because you have the divine favor from the Most High. In marriage, God will bless you with a good-looking spouse. Not just any spouse, but a good-looking one. And with this man or woman of your dream, you guys will just produce the most beautiful children. When you give generously, God won't give you ugly children, only, only beautiful ones. These are Jesus' very own words. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. As if you weren't paying attention, Jesus repeats himself once again. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I mean, just look at me. I'm a servant of the Most High, and God surely takes good care of me. I got this gold chain. It's only 24K, so no biggie. I got this coat, and don't even ask me how much it costs. I don't want to embarrass you. It's about the price of your Honda Civic. We're... we're I don't know, Ford, uh, Ford Focus or something like that. And I've always wanted a Rolex, so I prayed a prayer. And God answered my prayer. Now I have this Rolex. I didn't know that they actually made digital watches, but I guess they do. The other day on my way to work, I saw two Teslas parked right next to each other. So I prayed a prayer on the spot. I said, Lord, this Christmas I want nothing else but that car. So if you want to be just like me, pray boldly. Because God's plan for you is, is to P-R-O-S-P-E-R. Come on, church. P-R-O-S-P-E-R. Let's go. This is God's promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to P-R-O-S-P-E-R you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Nancy, what is going on? I see you over there shaking your head. Why are you so upset? Talk to me. 
gospel. That is not the gospel. What is it then? What is it then? It's a lie. Okay. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Today's Old Testament teaching text is Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 7. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Today's New Testament teaching text is Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of this passing worth of knowing Christ, my Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Tom. Would you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for your word and for your presence with us in the here and now. We pray this morning that you will open our ears to hear and open our mind to receive this message from you. Now, please uphold and sustain your servant to deliver your truth so that your people may be edified and you yourself will be magnified. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Today, I'm here talking about the S word. And I don't know what S word you're thinking about, but I'm talking about suffering here. Such topic may make you uncomfortable for a couple of reasons, and I want to make sure that I mention these so that I won't be insensitive to your suffering. It is not a popular topic. Nobody likes suffering. Besides Mr. Spock, <clears throat> his tolerance for suffering seems to be pretty high. 
It is not a popular topic, nor is it an easy subject. You or your loved one uh, might be going through some serious suffering as we speak. Before I dive into uh, the real sermon today, I would like to preface it with a couple of things. I'm not encouraging anyone to seek out suffering. And you might be living quite comfortably, and I'm not shaming you or condemning you. Besides, it might just be the appearance on the outside. Except Christ, no one actually knows what's going on on the inside. The Prosperity Gospel Group is known for a couple of things. They avoid talking about suffering. But the truth is, the cross, which is a symbol of suffering, is the centerpiece of our Christian faith. And they only focus on physical prosperity of the many blessings of the real gospel. Materialistic blessing is sure a blessing, but it's only one dimension of the many ways through which God blesses us. They often take the scriptural text out of its proper context. But think about this. If you take the word text out of the word context, all you have left is con. So when you read a passage, I will highly and strongly encourage you to read it in its proper context. I've got two quotes here. The first quote is from Dr. Ryan Cook of the Theolo uh, Moody Theological Seminary. He says, in order to follow the crucified Christ, one must live a cruciform, cruciform life. The second quote is from this fake guy. He says, preach the gospel. If you're not going to preach the real thing, but adding or subtracting stuff, may as well not preach at all. I actually heard this from someone else, but I... I cannot give him credit because I couldn't find this person. But I believe this quote is based on Deuteronomy 4.2. Now, I would, like you, I would like to invite you to take a long and hard look at your own life. And consider this question. How have I suffered? How have I suffered? You might suffer like I do. I am fed up because the student dining room ran out of bacon again. Where I'm concerned because my beta fish, Simon, he is not eating. He might be sick. I'm depressed because I got dumped by my high school sweetheart. He, wanted, he only wanted to be with someone who's at least six foot tall. And this is a true story. Back in, back in the fifth grade, I was bullied by a bigger kid. He called me names, and knowing that I wouldn't do anything about it. I'm saddened because I don't have a GPA of 4.0, although it's close enough. I am traumatized because my team, the Golden State Warriors, just keep on losing. And I sense some judgmental, judgmentalness here. I know what you're thinking, you're thinking that I'm bandwagoning. But let me tell you, I've been following the Golden State Warriors before Steph Curry was a thing. Okay, so don't, don't you please judge me. The other night I was following the score on my phone and the team just kept, kept on losing, losing, losing. And I was yelling at my phone, I said, could you stop the nonsense? Can you hear me? Please play, play some real ball. 
Or are you suffering in the following ways? A loved one of yours ran out of the medications they need, and now there is no financial coverage for it, and their life is being threatened. A grandparent might be the person who raised you up as very sick, and they just cannot keep any food in their stomach, and you fear the end is near. Your significant other decided to walk out of your life at a very vulnerable moment of your life, or perhaps you are the one who decided to leave due to the various kinds of abuse that you have experienced. Maybe you also suffer like I do. I have a traumatic brain injury from a car accident, and one of the many things that I have to deal with is seizures. And I prayed, 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 but the seizures just don't seem to be stopping. And matter of fact, the thing that scares me the most when I preach is that a seizure will happen in the middle of my sermon, because, like when when a seizure comes on you, there is just so much helplessness. You lose total control of your body, and there is no way for you to predict the approaching of a seizure. And thankfully, for the most part, my mom has been there for me. When I have an episode, minutes into it, my mom would gently ask me, "Son, can you hear me?" And I've got a question and some facts here about suffering. The question is, what is Purpose of our suffering? Is there a suffering? Sorry, is there a purpose at all? Facts: Everyone suffers, and Christians are not exempt from suffering. Another fact: God not only allows suffering, He exemplifies suffering. Take that in. He not only allows suffering, He actually exemplifies suffering. There are purposes or reasons for suffering, especially Christian suffering. If you want to know more about how our God has suffered for us, I would just encourage you to go ahead and read Isaiah 53. Christ, the perfectly innocent man, suffered for us as a sin offering. He suffered silently and remained not just. Faithful, but humbly faithful unto death. Verse six hit me really hard this time, and it reads: "We all, like sheep, have gone astray; each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He suffered for us, knowing that we will go astray and we will betray him, and we do not deserve such sacrifice." Yet he signed up for it. Just a little early, I I was encouraging guys to read the text within its context. So now let's turn our attention to Philippians three, starting from verse seven. And I'm going to give you the context of chapter three. The context is this: there are some Jews、um, that Paul labels them as the Judaizers. So this group. Approaches the new Gentile believers, and they say, "Hey, like we are the chosen ones, and we believe in the one and only God, Yahweh. 
So if you guys want to have a personal relationship with this one and only God, you, you got to do what we have gone through. So you got to start with circumcision. You got to follow the Torah. And Paul, Paul jumps out from nowhere and he goes, no, 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 no. And basically the theme of his, um, his speech of this whole chapter is do not, put, do not put any confidence in your flesh. If, if you think you have things to brag about, if you think you can be confident with all these things, you know, circumcision and so on and so forth, I have even more to brag about. I was circumcised, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Matter of fact, I practice the law, and I am actually a Pharisee. I'm so zealous for the law, I even persecuted the church. So if, if you think you have things to brag about, I have more. I'm the Hebrew of all Hebrews. And verse 7 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So the Judaizers, they think, Wow, Paul, you've got a long list of credentials. Make sure to put them on your resume. Paul here says, No, these things are lost to me. They are gains to you, but for the sake of Christ, they are nothing to me. And Paul is using the language of commerce here to help us understand his math. In God's economy, gaining requires losing first. And this harks back to chapter 1, verse 21. And Paul says, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. This sentence sounds kind of awkward, so let's fill in the blanks here. Paul is saying, To live is to live for Christ, and to die is to gain Christ. Verse 8. What is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that, that I may gain Christ. So in this verse, Paul pushes one step further from what he just said in verse 7. Paul says, not only the things that you consider as gains that I consider loss, but I consider all things, everything, garbage, loss. The word for garbage in Greek is actually a very, very strong word. It's quite vulgar, to be honest with you. It's literally the equivalent word of the S word in our, you know, um, modern English. So Paul is saying these things are absolutely worthless. Matter of fact, they're filthy and nasty. This, the literal, literary uh, meaning of this word actually means to suffer damage. Paul is saying, are you kidding me? You actually let this crap to get in, in between the way of Christ and you. Let me just give you an example. So growing up, I was always obsessed with candies. And I came to the U.S. for college, and I just suddenly understand this probably is one of the reasons why the U.S. is one of the greatest nations in the world. Candies are just so cheap and accessible. And, you know, once again, I was, I was in my freshman year, and uh, during stu student groups, they were, like, throwing different uh, student activities. And in order to attract attention, guess what? They're giving out free candies. So not only 
candies are cheap, they are absolutely free. Is there anything better than this? So I started like collecting all these candies. I will go back to my dorm room. I'm, I'm just indulging myself. So you know, like M&Ms, Snickers, Kit Kat, uh, gummy bears, you name it. So usually people in college, they'll, they'll have this thing called freshman 15. I have myself freshman 25. And now, not only I gained a whole bunch of weight from garbage food, and um, I started developing like dental problems. I still suffer like to this very day. So you see, this is what Paul is talking about here. The things that you consider as good is causing damage between you and your health. For me, it's my dental health, but for Paul, it's his spiritual health. Paul's ultimate price, uh, to Paul, the ultimate price is to gain Christ. It even rhymes. In order to gain a better, uh, a better price, we are willing to let go of the lesser. Let me give you another example. Again, when I was, I'm here in the elementary school, and then I started collecting these little cars. They're just about the size of a coin, and they're quite sophisticated. You can like open doors and you know, so on and so forth. They're very collectible. So I ended up like collecting a whole box of them, you know, different brands, different models, and I, just, I, I feel like I'm the cool, coolest kid in my school. And then now I'm in high school, and I live about like 10, 12 blocks away from my school. And what I really need at this point is not a box of little cars. I need a bike. And I am eyeing this bike. It's just so cool, so awesome, but it's quite pricey. So come talk to my mom and dad. Please, please, I need a bike. Please, can you please buy it for me? But my parents were like, no, it's, it's too much. Then on my birthday, my aunt, my dad's older sister, bought it for me as a birthday gift. And all of a sudden, I become, once again, the coolest kid on the block. Every morning, the most exciting thing is to get on that bike and bike all the way to school. So I bike to school, and I notice that people are turning their heads. Hey, here's that you know, cool kid with that cool bike. And I just feel so good about myself. But now, I've already passed that phase. What I really need is a Tesla. You know, if I really get a Tesla, I'm willing to, to buy five more bikes to exchange that Tesla. And Paul here says he wants to know Christ. The ultimate goal is to gain Christ. And so gaining begins with knowing. How can you gain something without knowing, especially a person? How can you gain him or her without knowing them first? So when I first started dating uh, my beautiful fiance, you know, and we went on a couple of dates, and I just realized, oh my goodness, she is beautiful inside out. And I concluded, I got to gain her. I got to wipe her up, right? So obviously, I, come, I came across pretty strong, and her parents were kind of like scared off. Um, but as we grow in our relationship, like for both my fiance and I and her parents, we've, we've developed this confidence. Yeah, this relationship is going into like a good direction. So to know here is actually a very, very intimate um, action. In the Old Testament, uh, when, when, when you see uh, an example uh, that says so-and-so knew his wife, basically means this person, you know, had sexual relation, uh, you know, relation with his wife, so it's very, very intimate, you know, action. 
And in the uh, pagan temples, you actually find um, prostitutes. Because the pagans, they also believed uh, if you want to get the attention from a certain deity, it has to be done through uh, sexual activities. Paul is not implying anything sexual here. Otherwise, it would be very weird and strange. However, Paul's point, he is also stressing the intimacy between us and Christ. In the sense that it has to be a personal, ongoing, and committed relationship. To know here is not just um, to have head knowledge. You know, people can have all the theology, they can memorize all the scripture, uh, you know, but without having a relationship with Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. To be found in God, instead of to have God found in us, that requires a divine initiative, not based on our human efforts. God's righteousness is the real deal. When we do something good, and we think that we deserve to be called righteous, and God says, nice try. Verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says here, to know Christ has three uh, components. First, we experience his resurrection. We may come to Christ in different ways, but for the real believers, uh, those who are forever changed person, the beginning of the Christian journey is usually the same or very similar. That we got to taste Christ's resurrection first, the power of his resurrection first. In the entire uh, human history, Jesus of Nazareth is the only one who claimed resurrection and actually did it. So at your conversion, something supernatural happened. It may look different for different individuals. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ's resurrection. Therefore, we are convinced that Jesus is alive. None of the greats of human history were able to do the thing that Jesus has done. Not Confucius, not Dalai Lamas, none of them. Even the most powerful, the most achieved men weren't able to conquer death. Alexander the Great, Hitler, Mao, all of them died. Because Jesus is alive, Paul is willing and even more motivated to participate in and or to share Christ's suffering. Some might think, what? This Paul guy is really nuts. Historically, Paul was executed either in the same year when the book of Philippians was um, completed or soon after. So Paul here is in great suffering himself, and how on earth can he use some more suffering? Paul is not mentally ill, nor is he some sort of a suffering addict. 
Paul understands that in suffering we get to resemble Christ simply because Christ is the man of sorrow and great suffering. Interestingly, Paul uses the word rejoice nine times in, in the book of Philippians. Other than the, the Gospel of Luke, rejoice shows up the most in this book. What do you have to rejoice for? Some people might rejoice over gender review of their newborn baby. Some people rejoice over engagement announcement, like you know me and Steph, we, we did, which was pretty, uh, pretty simple and very basic. Um, you rejoice over a job promotion. It is just so counterintuitive because rejoicing is the last thing you want to do in the midst of great suffering. The ultimate result of suffering on this earth is death. The most rewarding death is one, uh, is none other than the one that's like Christ's. Paul longs to be with Christ, which he has already expressed several times in chapter 1. Verse 11, Paul says that he is looking forward to his own resurrection. Here you have a sandwich structure. Resurrection at the very beginning of verse 10. And then again in verse 11, Paul mentions resurrection. And then the meaty part of the sandwich is suffering and death. The first mention of resurrection uh, provides the comfort and motivation for Paul for his own suffering. The second mention of um, resurrection, it gives us hope, knowing that earthly suffering is never fun. However, it does, it does not last forever. No matter what you are going through right now, in the here and now, we can be like Paul to look forward to our own resurrection. Here is a very personal story. Um, I, have a, I have this friend, let's just call her V. V was diagnosed with uh, a very aggressive cancer at the age of 19. And she battled with cancer for the entire 20s. And uh, when she first found out that she had cancer, they went through all sorts of treatments, you know, surgeries and different therapies, you name it. But it wasn't helping. Her, um, her condition was declining nonstop, and then eventually someone introduced her to Christ Jesus, and she accepted Christ as her personal Savior and Lord. But cancer wasn't stopping. However, she already dedicated her life to Christ Jesus. She started reading the Bible and becoming more and more convinced that Christ is her ultimate Savior. No matter what, no matter if she's delivered from cancer or not, she is a Christian, a follower of Jesus. So then she's like, I want to know more about Christ, she started going to this little Bible college in California. And once again, her, uh, her health was declining. And eventually, she took out some more surgeries, which caused her to be paralyzed. And when she was in the hospital, there, uh, there's this young boy uh, who was on the same floor with her. And the boy was 13, 14 years old and really struggling as well. So she shared her story with the boy. And the boy and his mother came to Christ on the spot. Early this year, my sister V was taken home. 
there is just something about suffering. We cannot relate much to the man of suffering until we ourselves go through suffering. Suffering here helps us to know Christ more intimately. Again, I'm not saying that anyone should seek out suffering intentionally or actively. However, when we suffer, we got to experience just teeny tiny little bit of what Christ has gone through on our behalf. V stands for victorious. She is the winner of the battle with cancer, not the, the disease. Gives me comfort knowing that my friend V suffers no longer. She has been comforted in the presence of our God. To answer the question posed earlier, what is the purpose of suffering? For me, the purpose is that she gained Christ by going through and embracing much suffering and loss. The battle with her ailments brought her, to, brought her the price of knowing Christ Jesus. She got to taste the power of his resurrection. She participated in Christ's suffering and was conformed into his death. I look forward to the day when I get to see my friend in my own resurrection. All right, so what are some uh, practical steps that we can take away from this sermon? Let your life be akin to that of Jesus. A stands for acknowledging. Acknowledging your emotions before Christ, before God. It is okay to be honest with God. He can handle it. He can handle your fear, your frustration, your complaints, even anger. There is no need to hide from God. You wouldn't be able to. And there's no need to deny your suffering or your emotions. And K stands for knowing Christ. Like knowing him, knowing him. Not just with your head knowledge. Sometimes it involves suffering. When it gets a little bit too much, remember Paul's words. That in the current suffering is worth it. You get to be closer to Christ Jesus and you have your own resurrection to look forward to. I stands for imitate. If you truly have already got to know Christ Jesus, the next logical step, which is also our calling, is to imitate him. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Maybe you want to imitate Christ to be humble like him, or to to love like he does. And N stands for notice. Notice the changes and differences in your life and be observant of such uh, changes or differences. 
and what God is doing in your life. Maybe you, you don't understand what's happening, but still give thanks because God knows what he is doing. Let me close with a prayer. God, we want to thank you for your word. We pray now, please remind me of your word when we encounter the undesirable and help us to taste the power of your resurrection and to participate in your suffering and one day to be conformed into your death. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.